Thank you, Brother Eric. Good morning to everyone. We're uh, now on to the book of uh, Philippians and uh, starting the new year with the letter of Philippians. Uh, double meaning words can be powerful by expressing familiar words, but using them uniquely, you can uh, make a strong statement. By taking familiar phrases, but changing them slightly, you can get people's attention and engage their memory. This is now what Paul does in Philippians chapter 1, verse 2. What you have here is Paul using some common words of greeting, changing them slightly to point to profound truth. Unfortunately, because we live 2,000 years later, we miss the nuance what makes this greeting a powerful statement. And because most believers don't understand the depth of the words themselves, we miss the blessing of God that God is trying to shower us with. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word. We're in Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses 1 and 2 this morning. God's word says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray for God to speak to us this morning. Heavenly Father, as we begin our study in the book of Philippians, I ask, Lord, that you would bless all of us, Lord, to be able to understand your word, to be able to be blessed by it, to be able to be transformed, Lord, as we hear your word, Lord, that we would, Lord, be blessed and be able to be edified, Lord, and be able to be encouraged, Lord, this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So here Paul skips the authoritative title apostle and calls himself a bond slave to model humility needed to create unity in this special church that is beginning to divide up. He called everyone saints, reminding them to uh, no matter what kind of disagreements they were having, they're all set apart for service to Christ. He recognized the overseers and the deacons as part of the saints, reminding everyone they're all one family and should not complain against each other. So now Paul, as Paul greets the church in verse 2, he takes a common greeting of his day and tweaks it slightly, summarizing the gospel, reminding the Philippians and us of the intimate relationship we have with God himself. We can go through days without remembering his remarkable salvation, all the blessings he has lavished on us, and the incredible intimacy we enjoy with him now. Some of us can go for weeks without allowing God's amazing grace to affect our hearts. We thank God for salvation on Sunday, but we remain cold or indifferent throughout the week. In order to summarize the gospel and highlight the intimacy with God that comes through Christ, Paul has taken the common greeting of his day and transformed it into a reminder. He takes familiar words, fine-tunes them, and adds a new twist to stir up the hearts of the Christian readers in the first century. Verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. These words sound a bit strange to modern ears because we don't know what they mean. Today, grace means charm. People think of grace as charm. Good manners or 
attractiveness. Peace may only refer to the alternative to war. You might be, okay, there's peace and then there's war. But in reality, grace and peace refer to the deepest spiritual realities and are meant to warm our hearts. So this morning, if your heart is a little cold towards the things of God, if you haven't thought about your salvation in days and your intimacy with God for weeks, then allow this greeting to fan the flames again and restore your first love because sometimes we forget about our first love, which is Christ. Or you are here and you know about religion, but you don't have an intimate relationship with Christ. These words are for you. As Paul greets the Philippians and us, be reminded, number one, of your great salvation as a believer, your great salvation. In verse two, Paul reminds us of grace to you and peace. It is almost as if Paul turned everything into a gospel message. Have you heard about of the believing eye doctor who said, read line one, God is my creator and king. Good, now line two, I have rebelled against God called sin. What do you think about what you just read. The traditional greeting of Paul's day was to state your name, state the recipient's name, and say greetings. The verb greetings was used in thousands of letters in the first century. But by changing the word ever so slightly, Paul turned it into a noun and saluted his brothers and sisters in Christ with grace to you. Not greetings to you, but grace to you. From greetings to grace, from a traditional hello to a powerful reminder to God's dealings with us. The sum total of God's activity towards you and me can be summarized by this one solitary word. Grace, which is amazing grace. Paul adds the word peace, affirming grace given to us results in peace between God and his children and giving us an ex experiential peace the world knows nothing about. The word order is important in that it's God's action of graciousness towards us that results in peace. It is God who is at work and who brings that peace to flourishing, reminding us all that we have come, that, that, we have, that we have come from God first. God did the work of grace so that we could have the fruit of peace. Affirming God is sovereign in salvation and sanctification. God chooses to shower his grace upon you, which results in you having peace with God and peace of heart. If you're not smiling or thankful yet, maybe you don't understand what grace and peace really mean. As a Christian, you should have that peace, that joy, that thankfulness, no matter what circumstance you find yourself in. Because you're a child of God. First, don't forget God's graciousness to you. God's graciousness to you. Grace is that character trait of God causing him to have a kind, loving, and merciful favor towards his children. Giving us freely, liberally, and continually. God graced you is gracing you and will grace you and God's grace will always be unmerited. What does unmerited mean? Undeserved and unconditional grace. Amen? The first word of greeting Paul has for the Christians in Philippi is grace to you. 
recalling God's unmerited favor towards you and me. God's grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. I'm sure you heard that acronym. God's riches at Christ's expense. God's grace is giving us what we don't deserve. No matter who you are, we all struggle with thinking God has been gracious to us because of what we have done. Because we're religious, because we're faithful, or we act nice. Sometimes we think, man, we deserve God's grace. And that is a wrong way of thinking. Grace is undeserved, unconditional. Even on your worst day, God still shows his grace towards you. And even on your best day. But God is not gracious to us, nor loves us because of that. Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for people who were hideous in his sight because of sin. Do you believe that about yourself, that you were hideous in his sight because of sin? Is that how you look at yourself prior to being a believer? Because most people think themselves as good people, right? Oh, yeah, I'm a good citizen, a good person. But no, there's none good, not even one. We're all sinners. If we're ever to understand the grace of God, we must begin with the knowledge that God has acted graciously towards us only because of Christ, entirely apart from any human action or wish. John Newton knew about unmerited grace. We've heard of John Newton. He's a guy who uh, wrote down the Amazing Grace. Raised in a Christian home in England, orphaned at age six, he lived with a Christ-mocking relative until he ran away to become an apprentice seaman in the British Navy. Eventually, he deserted and ran away to Africa to, in his own words, sin his fill. In Africa, he joined the slave trade and was treated with contempt by his parents' partner's family. Finally, he fled by thumbing a ride back to England on a ship as a navigator. On the way home, he got drunk, fell overboard, and almost drowned. Imagine that. Then toward the end of, his, of the voyage, Newton's ship was blown off course and began to sink. Newton was ordered down into the, onto, into the hold and told to man the pumps. He was frightened to death, certain the ship would sink and he'd, be, and he'd drown. He worked the pumps for days, and as he worked, he began to cry out to God. He began to remember verses he had been taught as a child, and he, as he remembered them, he was miraculously transformed, and he was born again, saved, forgiven, washed, made new. He went on to become a great preacher of God's word in England, and it was John Newton who penned these words, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Newton was a great preacher of grace, and it's no wonder he learned what all genuine Christians learn and what Paul means as he greets the Philippians with grace to you. Grace is of God, and it's always unmerited, undeserved, and unconditional grace. And in verse 2, grace to you also is abounding grace, abounding grace. You cannot sin deep enough, bad enough, or sick enough that God's grace does not abound much greater. There is 
No sin so bad, God cannot forgive because of his abounding grace. Isn't that great news for us sinners? Romans 5.20 proves it. The law came in that the transgression might increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Have you embraced abounding grace? There is a story of a young man working as a waiter for $8 an hour. That exemplifies abounding grace. Because he has a job, right? I mean, the fact that you have a job and a source of income should be grace from God to you. Without warning, he inherited $3 million. What would you do if you inherited $3 million? Imagine on the day before his windfall, he, the owner of the restaurant had decided entirely on his own initiative and without any reason on the part of the young man to increase the young man's salary to $10 an hour. It's two bucks. His increase went up. That is grace, that he, his salary went up, he paid him more, that is grace. But in receiving $3 million, that's abounding grace, is that not? So much more, right? $3 million, abounding grace. It's the same with you and Jesus Christ. God tells us we don't have the slightest claim upon him. We deserve hell at his hands and anything he might do for us, however insignificant is grace but God's grace is not insignificant amen? amen God's grace is great and it certainly does not stop with a single act in the past it's not two dollars an hour more grace you have millionaire grace when you're in Christ that's something we should be excited and joyful for Grace is one of the qualities which move God to send his son to suffer God's wrath for our sin and die on our behalf. God's grace moves us to surrender our lives to Christ and salvation. God's grace is what keeps us currently broken and overwhelmed over what Christ actually did for us. How do we feel about that? What Christ actually did for us? How do we feel when we watch the passion of Christ, when we imagine the suffering that Christ went for on the cross, receiving the wrath of God upon himself? when we were the ones who were supposed to receive that. God's grace blows genuine believers away because grace represents what God gave us at no cost to us, yet it cost Christ everything. The grace Paul refers to here in verse 2 is grace to you. It's not mere greeting, but the grace of God which is abounding. Amen? Grace to you is also sustaining grace. Sustaining grace. Without exception, the Apostle Paul begins and ends each of his 13 New Testament letters by blessing the churches he writes to and all the Christian readers throughout the ages with daily sustaining grace. At the beginning of the letter, Paul says, grace to you. And at the end of the letter in Philippians 4.23, he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. He begins with grace to you and ends with grace be with you. It's like giving you a present by beginning and ending each letter with grace. Paul is blessing his readers, including us. A biblical blessing happens when we say something like, may God bless you with grace. That's what Paul is saying at the beginning and ending of his letters, even though he doesn't use the words bless. A blessing focuses on the person spoken of, but they also appeal to God to do something. The person who blesses like Paul here takes a position between God and 
and the readers and makes his words a conduit, a blessing between God and the readers. Paul has in mind this letter itself as a channel of God's grace to the readers. Grace is about to flow from God through Paul's inspired writing to the Christian readers. Paul says, grace to you, meaning grace is now active and is about to flow from God through my inspired writings to you as you read, grace be to you. But as, that, but as the end of the letter approaches, Paul realizes the reading is almost finished and questions rises. What becomes of the grace that's been flowing to the readers through the reading of this inspired letter? Paul answers with a blessing at the end of every letter. Grace with you, with you as, as a letter not to leave the church. With you as to go home to deal with a sick child or an, an affectionate spouse. With you as to go to work and face the temptations of anger. So is that what's going on? Are you taking the grace of God to work? Dishonesty and lust with you as a muster court to speak up for Christ over lunch. With you as you go to school with untrustworthy friends and cruel talk. Grace to you in all circumstances that you're in, 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 in daily life. Paul is telling us not only that grace is a huge priority in the Christian life and that all grace comes from, the, from God, the Father, and every time we read the scripture, we receive grace. Every time we read the scripture, we receive grace because God is speaking to us. But we learn grace will abide with us as we lay down the Bible and go about our daily living. When you're living life every single day, grace is with you as a Christian. In other words... Stop thinking of grace as only expressed in the past on the cross of Christ. That's how we sometimes think of grace, just something that happened 2,000 years ago, Christ. But start thinking about unmerited, abundant grace made available each new day as we live by faith in Christ. Amen? Daily sustaining grace is ready to be poured out on those who look to Christ. As Newton wrote, this grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Your salvation came partly because of unmerited, abounding grace, but that grace didn't stop once you are saved. It is, it is a daily available grace to those who look to God for it. God's grace is sustaining you right now. Amen? Oh, and also, don't forget God's peace given to you. God's peace. Because it says grace and Peace. Paul greets the Philippians with a theological twist by adding verse 2. Grace to you and peace. Many have pointed out that grace is a Gentile greeting and peace is, of course, the Hebrew greeting shalom, which means peace. And because of this greeting is used specifically or repeatedly by Paul, it's almost viewed as a common everyday off the lips kind of greeting. 1 Corinthians 1.3 says, Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 1.2, Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 1.3, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. You guys see a pattern here. Ephesians 1.2, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. But besides every single word of scripture is inspired and you notice that the words grace and peace are tied directly in our Heavenly Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace. It's tied together. 
Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. That tells us the word peace is not merely an average greeting nor even a nice Christian greeting. The peace in Paul's mouth represents a huge change in the Christian's life. Paul's mouth represents a huge change in the Christian's life. Simply, peace is the fruit of justification and tranquility of heart. Only a true Christian can know. What do I mean? Every true Christian has what? Peace, right? Amen? Let's go back to Luke chapter 2. I remember we read that for our Advent. Luke chapter 2 verse 14. It says, glory to God in the highest and on the earth peace, goodwill towards men. And Paul affirmed in Romans chapter 5 verse 1, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're not naturally at peace with God. It's not natural. It's not like we're, we were born peaceful with God. We're at war with God, either passively or actively. And being at war with God, we're also at war with each other and ourselves. That's why we're experiencing so much misery and why there's so much unrest in our world. I mean, I, we preached a whole Advent on peace, right? One of them was peace. But God gives perfect peace. The war is over because Christ signed the peace treaty using his own blood. When we come to God through Christ, the war is over and now we're at peace with God. We're no longer God's enemies. Now we're forever his friends. Amen? Every true Christian also has access to practical peace. Verse 2, grace to you and peace. The Greek word for peace in classical Greek actually meant to bind together, resulting in harmony. It makes me think of a three-legged race. If your legs are not tied tightly, then you're both, you'll both trip over each other. But if you bind those three center, uh, these th uh, the center legs together, you can run in harmony. God binds his children to himself through salvation, and as a result, we can live and run experiencing his peace. Once you are born again, the Holy Spirit indwells you. Those, only those who are born again has the, have the Holy Spirit. So when a believer depends upon the Spirit by the word of God, then you can experience a peace the people of this world can only imagine. Paul reminds the Philippi church, let's go to Philippians 4, 6. Philippians 4, chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. It says, Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If you've never experienced God's peace, then you're not his child. If you're not experiencing his peace now, it's because you're not depending on the spirit in prayer and following his word. But you say, Cry, uh, Kevin, I'm praying but still lack peace. I mean, I struggle with that sometimes, as a, as, even as a pastor, as a Christian, having peace because you have this anxiety that sometimes just fights with you, you know? And you need to be just reminding yourself God's word constantly. The things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in the presence, practice these things, and God of peace shall be with you. Verse 9 of chapter 4. 
It says there to practice these things, to remind yourself of the things that you've learned, that you've received. Because we simply quickly forget while we're living in this world. We forget the gospel. We forget that God loves us, that God cares for us, that he's there with us no matter where we're at, no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in. It's not merely prayer, but a life seeking to live, practicing dependent obedience to the word of God. How do you cure a struggling Christian marriage? Maybe you've had an issue in your marriage. How do, you, how do you cure that? How do you fix that? Each partner committed to life moment by moment by the power of the spirit according to the word of God. You say, that's too simple. God's answers are simple, not easy, but simple. With intense emotion and his story of painful hurt, it's extremely difficult, but the answer is still the same. It's simple. It's still possible for anyone truly in Christ to live in the power of the Spirit by the Word of God. So we're called to do, to live by the Spirit and the Word of God. Grace and peace is not your ordinary Greek and Hebrew greeting. It's a reality desired by all people, but only enjoyed by the born-again Christian. Paul uses grace and peace to summarize the gospel, introducing and recapping all his teachings. So today, be reminded of your incredible salvation. Be stirred by grace. Be conformed by peace. Never let your heart grow cold to those twin truths. Amen? Why? They are gifts, blessings, power, actions of love from your Father and your Savior. That's why you and I also need to only... Be reminded of your great salvation, but also be reminded of your intimate relationship. Amen? Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace, salvation, and blessing come from God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where it comes from, from God, the Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ. All forgiveness comes from all, all the forgiveness from your sins, all the graciousness of God, your salvation, your family, your spouse, your church, the peace you enjoy between you and your God and God, and often in your heart, all those blessings you have and are experiencing and will experience in the future have come personally from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Be reminded of that this morning. Let's go to James chapter 1, verse 17. We're almost done this morning with the message, but James 1.17 says, Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. Anything good in your life, anything that you that is a blessing to you has been given by God the Father. It's a gift. He loves you. He cares about you. All that is good in your life came from a person from your loving Heavenly Father through the work of Christ your Lord. By the power of the Spirit, the Spirit isn't mentioned here in this greeting, but he's referred to in, later in Philippians chapter 1, verse 19, verse chapter 2, verse 1, and chapter 3, verse 3. But our God, who is one in three, one in essence, and three distinct persons, gave you all the blessings of grace and peace personally. God didn't send you a bulk mailing, gave you all that you enjoy right now. Ultimately, he chose you individually, called you personally. He blessed you. From God, his blessing has come to you. So I want to end with a few things. First, don't forget God is your father. As our creator, God is the father of everyone, saved or lost. God is the father of us all. As the sustainer of life, God is the only, God is the 
only the relational father, family father, and the intimate father of those who are his true children by faith. In Christ, receiving the spirit of adoption, when God saves you, he adopts you and makes you his child. God is your father if you've repented and put your faith in Christ and been adopted to his family. Some of you have a hard time taking comfort of God as your father because of your earthly father being abusive or harsh or indifferent or non-affectionate, mostly absent or never there. But your heavenly father is not like your earthly father. God's thoughts towards you are more than the sand of the seashore. He knows the number of hairs on your hair, head. And if he knows every time a sparrow hops, you can know the fact that he's watching over you right now. Often when your when a young son is being beat up at school with the threat of more to come, dad often prepares their boys with scripture, prayer, and practical lessons on what to say. And at times, training in self-defense. They often will send their son off the next day with a big hug and a firm handshake and a word of encouragement. But what most boys don't know is that the dads I know also, without their son knowing, following them to school, close by, ready to step in if things get out of hand. Right? If you're a father, you're going to be there to see that your son is not hurt. No matter how alone you think you are as a Christian, your heavenly father is always intimately with you, close by. Do we feel God as our father near us? And if we don't, we need to get... Get, get into prayer and get into his word and you will start feeling God the Father being there with you. Galatians 4, 6 says, Because you are sons, God has sent forth his spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. God is so close to his children, the spirit of God in you cries out to him in the same word a two-year-old used to call for help, Daddy. Abba means daddy. Don't forget God is your father. Amen? Second, don't forget Christ is your Lord. Christ is your Lord. Verse 2, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is your Lord, who sacrificed all to give you the grace and peace you desperately needed. Couldn't earn or get on your own. Paul uses the title Lord 15 times in Philippians, like in Verse 1, 14, and 2, 24. Trusting in the Lord. Verse 3, 1, 4, 4, 4, 10. Rejoice in the Lord. Chapter 3, verse 8. Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Chapter 4, verse 1. Stand firm in the Lord. Verse 2. Live in harmony in the Lord. Verse Chapter 4, verse 5. The Lord is near. But what does Paul mean by calling Jesus Lord? What does that word Lord mean? Some say Lord means Jesus is our Savior. That's what some people think. But Philippians 3.20 says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul doesn't mean to say we're waiting for a Savior. The Savior Jesus Christ. So Lord doesn't mean Savior. What does it mean? Two other passages in Philippians tell us what, I, what the Lord means. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 says, and 2.11 Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Verse 11, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Every person alive and dead will bow in submission to Christ the Lord. It's a fact. And if you're still doubting what Paul meant by Lord, read Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. 
We eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. I mean, I can't even get my dog Aspen, a husky, to do what I want him to do. It's hard. He don't listen. Maybe you have a pet and they don't listen either. I certainly don't control you. As you know, pastor, we don't control you. I can't control the weather, but Jesus will subject all things to himself. He has the power to control everything on earth. Amen? In your life, every detail. Jesus being Lord means master. The one in charge. The one who has all authority over everything. He is sovereign. Jesus is sovereign over all things. Now, get this. Jesus is Lord and he say. Right, Kevin, and every good Christian should make him Lord of their life. No, that's heresy. Jesus is Lord. You don't make him Lord. He is Lord. You don't make him Lord. He is the Lord. You're either currently submitting to him as master or you are rebelling uh, from him as master. Every knee shall bow before Christ now and later. You either submit now as Lord and he makes you his child or you'll submit to him as Lord later and he, as he condemns you to hell. But every Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, atheist, Mormon, Catholic, or other religionist will submit to Jesus Christ later because Jesus is Lord and, we will and he will submit all things to himself. Even if you call yourself a Christian, but in your heart, Christ is not your master and only you know that, right? We can't read hearts. I don't know hearts, but God knows your heart. You are not saved if Christ is not your master. You have embraced the Jesus, but not the one of the Bible. Christ being your Lord doesn't mean you always have to obey or you're always in obedience, but you will always want to obey him. Even when you don't, only those who submit to Christ by grace dependent on faith are saved. There is no salvation apart from submission to Christ, you guys. A lot of churches don't talk about that, but that's the truth of the Bible. You're either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. You either serve yourself or serve the Lord. Only those who do the will of their father are welcome to heaven. All others will hear, depart from me. I never knew you. And you do not want to hear those words on judgment day when you stand before him. You want to hear, well done, faithful servant. Come to the presence of your savior. The faith that saves works. The faith, we, that's one of the first books we preached here at Acts Reformed Church, the book of J, the, the, the letter of James. Faith that saves works. The repentance that brings new life changes your life. Is your life changed? Does your family, friends, co-workers, people around you see a different person in you that once was? Or do they think you're the same? You haven't changed a bit. If you're a Christian, it doesn't mean you're going to change from zero to a hundred from one day to another, but you will sanctify your life. Your life will be more and more like Christ day in and day out. Every day you're being renewed. You're constantly repenting of your sinful life and you're trying to be more holy. You're trying to be more like your, you're being discipled to be more like your master, Jesus Christ. The gift of salvation comes with a new heart of submission to Christ. Jesus Christ is your Lord and you are not related to him or you are not related to him, period. And because Jesus is Lord, you don't make him Lord. He is Lord. You're either submitting or rebelling. This morning, if you're watching, you're listening, 
You're either submitting or you're rebelling towards him. But he's already Lord. And Christian friend, what better friend can you have than the one who can transform the body of our humble state into the conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. He can change you. You might be like, man, Pastor Kevin, I can't change. I can't change the way the way I live, the way I do things. You got to cry out to God. He can change that heart of stone and put a heart of flesh. He's transformed many of us. He's transformed millions of people around the world. He can do that with you. You're not a lost cause. Because God is powerful. He's almighty. He can change you. He can. He's in charge. And yet every single one of you who've ever been saved, Jesus calls you his friend. What a tr friend we have in Jesus. The title of today's sermon is Grace and Peace. Don't forget your great salvation, which includes abundant grace and amazing peace. And don't forget the intimate relations you have with your Heavenly Father and with your all-powerful Master, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul changes a standard greeting and turns it into a theological wonder. And there are some truths we must not forget. Remember, we have the same Father and Lord. Repent today of any issue between you and another. Go to them and ask for forgiveness so that you can start behaving like God is your Father and the Lord Jesus is your Master. If you have any issues with anybody, resolve those issues. Especially if in the household of, of the church of Christ. Remember to live in daily grace. You've been given unmerited, abounding grace. But it's also sustaining grace. Ready to be poured out on those who look to God for it. Don't try to pay God back for what he's given you. Don't even try. But believe God and look for his grace in his word, in prayer, a heart of surrender and a life of worship. That's what God wants from you. He wants a heart of surrender and a life of worship. You don't need to fill up your life with Netflix, pleasures, toys, or relationship when God wants to bless you daily with his amazing grace. This is the joy you've been given or missing Confess your sin or neglect or neglect of neglecting your Lord and uh, and friend and watch him pour out, out his grace upon you. And lastly, remember the source of real peace. If you're struggling with a relationship or are weighted under a difficult circumstance. And right now, maybe some of us are going through some tough trials in our life. If your heart is not content this morning, then try Paul's peace solution. And we're going to read as we study the book of Philippians. Paul is in prison, you guys. He's bound in prison. And yet he sounds like he's out in the world living life, enjoying life. He's full of joy. Because joy and happiness are not the same thing. You can have joy in the midst of trials and hardships and difficulties in life. You may not be happy, but you could have the joy of the Lord, which is our strength, right? As Paul says it. He reminds us in verse 6 and 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. We got to have thanksgiving in our hearts. Present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Avail yourself of God's grace through prayer. Take the time to sit at your master's feet and in your heart. He can turn your pressure, your pressure, your pressure into peace. That's what we all want. 
Remember, the only way of salvation is to submit to Christ. You, can win, you can't win against God. You won't win in the end. You can try to come up with your own terms of salvation. Many people try to say, oh, well, I'll be saved if I do enough good things. No, you will not. You are a sinner in the hands of an angry God. You, there's nothing good you can do. It's like a mirror. If you throw a rock and it shatters, how can you fix that mirror? You know, it, it's not fixable. You need a whole brand new mirror. And that's the same with our hearts. God gives you a brand new heart of flesh. and removes that heart of stone. You can, re you can redefine Jesus. You can ignore the word of God. You can live good, come to church and say nice things. But until you submit to Christ by grace through faith, you're not saved. He is Lord. You will bow now or later, but you will bow. The only question is, will you bow now or, let, uh, or later? That is the real question that we want to ask ourselves. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the grace, the amazing grace that you've given to us sinners, Lord, that you've forgiven us of all of our sins, our past, present, and future because of what Christ has done on the cross. We're thankful, Lord, because you're gracious and you've given us that peace that, that surpasses all understanding because we have peace with you as our Father because of what Christ has done on the cross as well. So, Lord... Let us be reminded, Lord, that we need to submit to you as Lord, not only as Savior, and that, Lord, um, you continue to sanctify all of our lives, and that as we study this book, uh, this letter of Philippians, Lord, that we may be reminded of the joy, Lord, that is uh, found in Christ, and that is not based on our circumstances of what we're going through in our daily lives, Lord, but that we may look to you, Lord, knowing that you love us, that you care for us, and that you're there showering us with much grace in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.